Minimalists. <laughs> Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalists Private Podcast. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks so much for your support, patrons. We love you. We got so much to talk about. You know, several things came up about Shopping Anonymous or Shopaholics Anonymous, which is a real organization. I'm going to talk to you oh, about wow. that. I figured we start with some more about less. I couldn't decide, Ryan, so I figured why not have all three articles here? Because we're minimalists. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> we'll put a link to all three of these in the show notes. The first one is from Kapil Gupta, and this article is called That. Mm. A man lives in a house with 3,000 rooms. He begins each day standing in the courtyard at its center. He chooses a room, and on his way to that room, he anticipates a great prize, something that is going to change his life. He arrives at the room. When he opens the door, he sees nothing unusual. He looks under the sofa, beneath the mattress, behind the dresser, and under the nightstand. He gains a slight dose of pleasure from the smell of the room. But that's all. The day has come to an end. The next day, he chooses a different room. This time, he gains a drop of pleasure from the photo on the wall. But he finds nothing else. The day comes to an end. The following day, he returns to another room. He finds nothing. And on his way out, he finds a dollar bill behind the door. This gives him an ounce of pleasure. This day comes to an end. Some days, he revisit, revisit, <laughs> some days he revisits the same room. Some days he goes to a new room. Let's pause on this for a moment. Isn't this a perfect metaphor for shopping? Mm, yeah. Oh, I get, I get, I like it. Yeah, I get the the pleasure. And sometimes I return to the same room. I go to the Brooks Brothers. Yeah. Here's the weird thing. So when I used to be addicted to shopping, I would. I remember spending time at like Brooks Brothers or Macy's or Banana Republic was a big one I would go to all yeah, the time. J. Yeah. Crew was like my favorite casual dress store. Mm-hmm. So I'd go to J. Crew and I'd go to Brooks Brothers for my formal wear, my, my dress up clothes, right? My work clothes. Yeah. But I felt really anxious while doing it hmm. because it was like a decision fatigue. I, I knew I hadn't gotten the thing I wanted here last time. I, or, Worse, I got the thing I wanted here last time, but it didn't do what I wanted it to do, Mm, right? Return to text. (laughs) And each time he goes to a room, he is filled with hope. Today is going to be his day. Today, everything is going to change. Today, his life is going to take on new meaning. That's exactly how I felt. Mm. How weird is that? But If if you say it out loud, you realize how silly it is, but... Mm -hmm. The feeling behind it is not silly. It's so real to you. Mm. He is utterly convinced that somewhere within one of these rooms lies a secret. A secret that he has missed all these years. And upon discovering it, he will finally discover, quote, that. Mm. He doesn't know precisely what that is. It might be peace, freedom, joy, bliss, rapture, happiness, or even a permanent end to the search. All he knows is that he doesn't have that Mm. right now. Mm. Man. He forgoes, he forges relationships, he builds businesses, 
He even invents gods. But that is nowhere to be found. And anytime he asks someone, anytime he shares his problem with someone, they give him a quick solution. They say to him, oh, you must go do X, Y, and Z. So he does X, Y, Z, but it doesn't produce that that he is searching for. And when he tells them this, <coughs> excuse me, and when he tells them this, the individual says to him, Oh, ye of little faith, you must believe. You've only just started. Keep doing X, Y, Z, and one day it will come. So he keeps doing X, Y, Z. Years pass, but he has gotten nowhere. He returns to the individual and asks him how long he has been doing X, Y, Z. The individual tells him he's been doing X, Y, Z for 45 years. He asks him if doing X, Y, Z for 45 years has given him that. The individual says no, but he's certain that one day it will come. The man thinks to himself, Everyone in the world around him is chasing, chasing, chasing. Some are chasing jobs, others high positions, others more wealth, others happiness, others religion. And all that is fine and good. But somewhere within this mass of humanity, by sheer odds alone, there must be someone who has found that. There must be at least one person who has found the thing that they have been chasing their entire lives. There are young humans and old humans. The old humans have come to the twilight of their life. They have been chasing the longest. So he asks one of the old men how long he has been chasing. The old man says he's been chasing for 87 years. He asks him if he has found that. The old man says no, but if it's God's will, he will find it before he dies. He asked the old man that if it was all dependent upon God's will, why chase in the first place? The old man says, because God only helps those who help themselves. But the old man did try to help himself. He helped himself for 87 years with nothing to show for it. So he goes to a Buddhist monk. Surely the monk must have the answer. They have devoted their entire lives to such things. He visits the oldest monk in the temple, the leader, the most venerable among them. He says to him, Venerable sir, have you found that? The monk says, Your desire is strong, my son. Perhaps you'd like to become a monk. He says, I'll consider it, but can you please tell me if you have found that? <laughs> the monk says, You must be patient, my son. We monks have devoted our lives to meditation, simplicity, and service in order to discover the Buddha within each of us. He responds, I understand, venerable sir, but I wonder if you could please tell me if you have found that. The monk says, it is said that there is no that, that there is nowhere to arrive. The man says, if there is no that, and if there is nowhere to arrive, then why do you meditate and do penance and shave your head and wear robes? Why go to all this trouble? The monk says, we do it in search of enlightenment. The man responds, so you do have a that. It's enlightenment. 
The monk says, yes, I suppose. The man says, sir, have you found enlightenment? The monk says, not yet. He leaves the temple and sits on a rock in an open field. He comes to the realization that no one, not even the monks who have devoted their lives to austerities, have found that. And if there is no that, then he wouldn't feel this strange longing within, within him, the constant sense of dissatisfaction. And where there is dissatisfaction, there must be something that satisfies it forever. He returns to his house. He stands in his courtyard. He pours gasoline onto the floor and sets the house on fire. And as he walks away from the burning house, he sees with exquisite clarity that any direction he walks will not lead to the answer. He sees without a shadow of a doubt that everyone is searching from beggar in the street to the monk on the throne. He sees that not a single thing will give him what he seeks. Not a single location on earth holds the answer to his problem. He sees that the very spot on which he is walking is his most ultimate destination. He drops to the ground under an endless sky. He banishes every drop of hope, and suddenly his dissatisfaction vanishes. He sees as clear as the sun that shines upon him, and he closes his eyes and begins to laugh. He touches the dirt upon which he sits. He runs his palms along the grass. He feels the weight of his limbs. He quietly whispers to himself, This is that. Woo! That's good, man. I got to tell you, there's, um, we are searching for that. And it's leading to these addictions, to these impulses, to compulsive shopping. And I thought that was just the perfect metaphor here. Mm-hmm. Because we do some really strange things in order to get that. Yeah. Sometimes it's shopping. Sometimes it's hedonism, you know, however that manifests. It could be imbibing on whatever, drinking more. Um, it can be whatever it is. It, it, the, the, um, it could be sports. It can be um, uh, candy. It could be whatever we need to give us pleasure. Mm. And we mistake this for that. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, it's interesting because we'll get an email. Hey, uh, I'm depressed. Um, is minimalism, is this, is this the answer for me? Uh-huh. Is this that? Yeah. And it's like, no, like it's not. Like minimalism, I think people could look at it as they're that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I hope we've done a good job of kind of explaining how minimalism is this. It's a maybe a path. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a tool. Yes. But really, <clears throat> I have come to the realization, well, uh, uh, kind of like what Peter Rollins talks about is the secret of the lack. Mm. Like, there is no that. And, 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 and if you ever think you have that, then, uh, then there's just going to, then you're going to crave another that, I guess. Right. Yeah. You, or, or maybe the way I would look at that is you already have that, and anything mm-hmm. outside of that. Mm. is outside of you can't be that mm-hmm. it's something else it's it's pleasure seeking ultimately sure. yeah. and there's nothing wrong with pleasure we're not the anti-pleasurists mm-hmm. we're the minimalists and you bring up a great point about minimalism 
is not the that either. That mm-hmm. is not the destination. Mm-mm. And so no wonder so, sometimes people get confused because they've minimized everything. Yeah. There's this great story in Love People Use Things from uh, Jason and Jennifer Kirkendall. I was reading it on the row while we were on tour. And I'm just going to read one paragraph from that because, well, there's this moment that I saw the discomfort appear, manifest outwardly in our audience as yeah. I was reading it to them. Mm-hmm. And it goes on to say, but the money problems between Jason and Jennifer were only the top layer covering a labyrinth of deeper issues. So I talk about how they had all these money problems, right? Yeah. But then it goes on to say, their sex life was non-existent. Their careers were unfulfilling. And then this next line, Ryan, as soon as I read it, I looked out at the audience and you could see people tense up. Yeah. They hid purchases from one another. They hid purchases. And I look out at the audience. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at this audience. And <laughs> the people who are with their spouses, mm-hmm. they're not the ones laughing. Mm. But there are other people laughing who are like with their parents or whatever. Like, and man, hiding purchase. I used to hide purchases all the time from my former spouse. Yeah. Yeah. And why did I do that? Because I was buying things I was ashamed of buying. Now, that shame can come from one of two places. Maybe the shame came from, oh, this doesn't align with my values. It doesn't align with the person I want to be. Mm-hmm. But more likely than not, the purchase I was making, they weren't shameful. I was being shamed by the story I was telling myself or others had helped me manufacture by society had programmed into me mm-hmm. that in order to be perfect, I can't buy certain things or I should want to buy other things or I shouldn't want to buy this. And if you want to buy this, then you're bad or you're wrong or Mm. you are shameful. Hmm. Yeah. I remember it's like when when you brought, when you said that line, when you read that line, people were just kind of, they had this look on their face like, how did he know I was hiding purchases? Right. Talking about me. Oh wait, no, there's no way he could know about that. But like, you could see it like go through their head. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't remember ever hiding purchases for many of my significant others. Um, but, but what I, about in your first marriage? Was there a time because you guys oh, didn't have a lot yeah. of money? And, and, and yeah. I think it's most, it's most, mm. for the other significant others, you didn't have shared banking, you weren't living together, and so right. it didn't matter as much. But when you're living with someone, now all of a sudden they have expectations of you, you have expectations of them. Yeah. Talk about a tangled web. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Thinking about my marriage, which was, oh my gosh, man, 22 years ago. Yeah. Jeez, old Pete. I'm old. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I do. I, I can't think of some times where I was like hiding, not just purchases. I was hiding a lot of things. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. We hide things that we're ashamed of. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the shopping addiction leads also to shame. I know we, on the minimal episode, we talked quite a bit about compulsive shopping. We're going to dive much deeper in this maximal episode today. Mm. And um, I wanted to go into this article here, Ryan. I think this is from Psych Today. I've got a link to it in the show notes for Sean. Are these the six things? Yes. Uh, Yes. And so... Are there different types of shopping or spending addictions? According to Shopaholics Anonymous, there are several different types of shopaholics. And they're as follows. Number one, compulsive shopaholics who shop when they're feeling emotional distress. Mm. So, oh, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling 
depression. Yeah. I'm going to try to cover up my symptoms with shopping. I'm going to go treat myself. Yes. Mm. It, this is my treatment. Mm. Or I deserve it, right? We're going to get into that in a second. So that's number two, right? Number two is trophy shopaholics who are always shopping for the perfect item. Mm. Now, we've talked about the Diderot effect in the past, but mm. consumerism begets consumerism. Yeah. Buying the perfect couch now means I need to buy the perfect side table. Mm-hmm. Buying the perfect bed means now I need the perfect bedspread, right? right? Buying the perfect clothes means I need the perfect hangers to put the perfect clothes on. Yeah. This is the, the trophy shopaholics, right? Mm-hmm. And then the third, we have shopaholics who want the image of being a big spender and love flashy items. Mm. And so this is, look how significant I am. Right. That's the... There are two reasons to buy a Lexus. What do the kids call that? Flexing? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> they, they did. They used to call it stunting oh, right. back in the 90s. Right. No, it's uh, flexing. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. Was it something else now, Danny? We've got our resident Gen Zers in here. Yeah. Flexing. He, all right. Yeah. There we go. Um, Malabama swears she's not Gen Z. <laughs> <laughs> Prove it. <laughs> all right. So, um, so, yeah. Anyway, you have these people who are flexing right because it's look at me look at me look at me mm-hmm. nothing wrong with owning a lexus they make great cars in fact i remember reading this article about you know johnny ives mm. or is it just ive johnny ive yeah no jordan has to know he's the guy who designed the iphone with steve jobs basically he was apple's designer for well over a decade Oh, okay probably aesthetically the best designer of electronics in our lifetime yeah. if not ever yeah i mean braun is up there as well but but um johnny ive had a thorough understanding of beauty within these consumer goods, right? Mm -hmm. And he's a multi-billionaire, obviously. Mm. And they were doing an interview with him, and he was in a Bentley. And he was like, for many years, I avoided buying a Bentley because of what it said about me, and I was afraid what other people thought. He goes, but I've recognized it for many years that this is the best handmade car in existence. Mm. And for him, buying a Bentley is like buying a biscuit. You know, it's, right. it's nothing, right? That's my favorite model of the Bentley. <laughs> the Bentley biscuit. <laughs> and, and so for him, it's not a, the difference between buying a Toyota Camry and a Bentley to him is virtually nothing, right? Mm-hmm. He, he contributes a ton to society. He helps a lot of people. Not those things are necessary in order to not buy a Bentley. But also, it's for him, he bought the Bentley not to show off, but mm. because it is a work of art. Yeah. Now, you can also buy a work of art just to show it off. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what is my motivation behind this? Why am I doing what I'm doing? I bought Lexuses for both reasons. Now, I think a Lexus is a fine piece of machi- yeah, machinery. It's a great quality car. Right. But I also recognize that a Toyota gets me there for half the price, and it's essentially the same thing. Yeah. And so in recognizing that, oh, I don't have to have a Lexus. I can have the functional equivalent for me. Mm-hmm. Now, there may be something that someone else buys a Lexus for that my Toyota doesn't have. Mm. And so it's not a judgment to say you shouldn't buy a Lexus. Mm-mm. But am I doing this to, to flex on them? Yeah. And, and you know, we see it all the time here, the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and, and all this other stuff that are all, oh, all yeah. over L.A. Yeah. And the irony of this is 
these are actual works of art. A Lamborghini is a work of art. Yeah. How come so many of the people with the worst taste, the most tacky taste, buy these works of art? They don't appreciate it as the work of art. Right. It's look at me, look at me, look at me. Right. That's the motivation behind it. Now, that's not wrong. It's just tacky. Yeah, sure. Just like loading up my yard, my yard with yard signs is not wrong. It's really tacky, so I avoid <laughs> doing it. Yeah. Number four. Bargain seekers who purchase items they don't need because they're on sale. Oh, man, I was so guilty of that. Like, I just remember being at the mall. I go there for one thing, and then I leave with 10 things because of the bargains. And a lot of the times, like, it was just because it was like a, a brand or, you know, a certain name on a shirt or a pair of pants. Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah, man. I was like, oh, I'd be stupid not to buy this. It's 50% off. or Yeah. yeah. But, of course, it's 100% off if you don't. Buy it. And sometimes, like, the clothes didn't even fit. I was just like, oh, I, they're a little too small. I'll lose weight and fit it. And I'm fitting into them. Like, it was, yeah, ridiculous. Aspirational purchases. Yeah, yeah. And so we, what we're doing is we're compromising what we want for what we think we want. Mm-hmm. Number five. Oof. I get this one. Bulimic shoppers who get caught in a vicious cycle of buying and returning. Oh. This is a big thing. And it's a reason that stores, certain stores... They have unlimited return policies. Oh, wow. Yeah, however many days, because they want to get you back into the store. Why? Because everything's half off. Yeah. We were just in Aspen recently giving this talk. And I, I realized I'm actually the opposite. I'm, I'm allergic to sale price. My antenna goes up when I see sale price now. Yeah, right. And so we, we were actually, because it's really expensive to eat in Aspen. Oh my God. And so we just went to the grocery store and we were buying. You know, the the food to cook in, back in our hotel room. Right. And when we were doing that, I noticed the meat was like, all the meat was on sale. I'm like, uh-oh, what is wrong with those with the with the beef, the ground beef? There must be something wrong. And I realized, like, oh, no, no, no. Everything in here is 50 cents off. Right. That's just their marketing strategy right. to encourage people to buy one more right now because it is, it's 50 cents off. I better get it now because tomorrow it might not be on sale. Act now. Supplies are limited. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Yeah. Doorbuster sale was yeah. something we used to do oh my God. in the corporate world all the time, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what are they doing here? Corporations are encouraging you to overconsume. Even it doesn't matter. You can return it tomorrow. Guaranteed return policy. Mm-hmm. Ouch. Yeah, you know it's interesting about this doorbuster sales. I remember specifically like the Motorola Razor. Remember how popular that was? I do. Who made that popular? Uh, the Sopranos or something, right? Didn't they? It Possibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I know that uh, Hank Moody had one. Yeah. So the the Razor was like this um, super super popular phone. So we had for one of our holiday doorbuster sales a cheap version of the razor. It was still considered a razor, a Motorola razor. Yes. But like it was instead of like having the metal housing, it was a plastic housing. It was just a cheaply made product. Right. And you know, that's just a lesson for me. And like when you see these doorbuster sales, when you see something on sale, it is sometimes just a symptom of like, hey, we've made a cheaper version of this so we can sell it to you at a at a you know cheaper price or a reasonable price. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, the meat was very good. It was not a cheaper value meat. Like everything tasted great, but a lot like with these electronics, you got to look out for that for sure. Yeah. And, and so what you have to realize is that no, the 50 cents off. No, that's the actual price of the thing. And then they overprice it by 50 cents or a dollar or $5 or a hundred dollars. Yeah. So they can give you the discount. So you feel good about it. You feel the impulse to consume it more quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. 
get this now before someone else gets on this deal because, hey, look, man, I can't promise this deal is going to be around tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, man. You know who else does this? Airlines do this all the time. Only three seats left at this price. Well, it might mean the next three seats after that. I don't know if you know this. So, like, when it says three seats left at $149, mm-hmm. after that, they might go down to $139. Mm-hmm. It just means left at this particular price. Oh, interesting. They might actually be cheaper after this. Mm. But they're lying to us and making us look like, oh, there's only three seats left on this whole plane. Yeah. So you got to be careful of that. And then finally, number six, collectors who don't feel complete unless they have one item in each color or every piece of a set. Mm. That is the, the collector shopaholic, the completionist. Yeah. And, um, man... I think there are certain things where it makes sense to have a set. If you're a collector of baseball cards, maybe you want the whole set. Yeah. And, and because you really enjoy the experience you get from that, mm-hmm. fine, no problem. Yeah. But you are already complete without the collection of things that's surrounding you. You are complete without a home full of consumer goods. Mm-hmm. You are complete without all of the excess sale items that you purchase because you got the best bargain. Mm. And so the completionist, the irony is, the completionist is never complete. Ever. Yeah. Oh, man. That, I see, that, I see uh, sneaker companies doing that with... Uh, the completionist thing, like you know, Nike did this whole milkshake sneaker. Uh-huh. You got the chocolate version, the vanilla version, the strawberry version. Yeah, and yeah, it's because I'm looking at them, and I was like, man, if I really wanted these specific sneakers, I would feel like I'd have to get all three versions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The article goes on to say here, and so I'm going to read just a, another snippet here. It's a long article. What causes an addiction to shopping, according to Ruth Ings from Indiana University? Some people develop shopping addictions because they essentially get addicted to how their brain feels while shopping. As they shop, their brain releases endorphins and dopamine. And over time, these feelings become addictive. Hmm. Emotional symptoms of shopping addiction. Like all addicts, shopping addicts may try to hide their addiction and if a loved one is addicted to shopping, they may try to hide it from you. If you hide credit card bills, shopping bags, or receipts, you may be a shopaholic. Mm. Let's pause on that. If you hide anything from anyone that's related to your shopping purchases, that's a good sign you're addicted to shopping, and that addiction is causing a shame within you. Mm. And we'll talk about how to deal with that shame because it depends on where that shame is coming from, right? Mm -hmm. In some cases, shopaholics may try to hide their addiction by lying about just one element of it. And that's what I saw in the audience when we were, when I was reading that passage to them. It's covering up the lie with lies, Mm. right? Yeah. Uh, And it's, it's miserable to do that. Yeah. Think about all the times you were hiding something from a significant other mm. and how that's different from now yeah. where you don't have to hide anything. Yeah. Like especially with shopping, like lying on top of the lies. Um, I've seen this before where they'll, they'll tell their significant other, Oh, well it was on sale. Mm-hmm. So it was okay that I bought it, but it was not on sale. They paid full price for it. Ooh. But there's this like, yeah, there's this lie of like, well, this is why I justified it. And, um, and, and, and it makes it okay. Yeah, and so even if it was on sale, that's not a good reason to buy anything. Right. I, call, I don't call it sales, sale price. I call it fool's price. 
price, mm-hmm. not full price, fool's price, sale price is just a way they fool us into buying more than what we actually need. Yep. And so I avoid, if anything is on sale, mm-hmm. I will often wait until it's not on sale to see if I actually would buy it. Mm-hmm. Now, you're like, but Josh, that's stupid. You're spending so much more money on these things. No, I'm not. I end up not buying them at all. Yeah. And, and that's because I stave off the impulse that has been created, manufactured by whatever corporation or advertiser or marketer that is uh, giving me the quote-unquote sale price. Mm. Okay. For instance, what a person may admit they went shopping, but they may lie about how much they spent. That's yeah. another way that they might lie. Some of the other emotional symptoms, there are five symptoms here, you may notice from a shopaholic include. So if you have any of these symptoms, you might be a shopaholic. Mm. Spending more than you can afford. By the way, if you have to put it on a credit card, you can't afford it. Shopping as a recreation to feeling angry. Oh, wait. Shopping as a recreate. One more time. Shopping as a reaction to feeling angry or depressed. So if you feel angry or anxious or depressed and you go shopping, mm, you might be a shopaholic. Mm. Shopping as a way to feel less guilty about a previous shopping spree. Oh, you know what? I made the wrong purchases last time. (laughs) I'll fix it by making the right purchases this time. Harming relationships due to spending or shopping too much. So... Of course, that harms marriages. One of the, the biggest ways that marriages break up is financial troubles, yeah. which is created by spending more money than what we have. And finally, losing control of the shopping behavior. When shopping feels out of control, it is out of control. Yeah. Here are some physical symptoms of shopping addiction. Although most addictions have physical symptoms related to them, shopping addictions may not. In most cases, the symptoms you experience due to your shopping addiction, will be emotional in nature. The physical evidence of a shopping addiction may include a declining financial situation. Mm. Well, Ryan, you and I know this. During your talk while we're on tour, what do you say? That 80, was it 80% of people had debt even before the pandemic started? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, so, so think about that. That means at least 80% of us are, shopping addicts it's not the five or six or seven percent of people if we're spending more money than what we have well that's a type of addiction because it's causing some sort of stress anxiety discontent in our lives yeah absolutely i got one more article for you here ryan this one is called five ways to combat an online shopping addiction nice i'll let you hear the answers (laughs) by morgan quinn Let's just get into the the five specifically. So one is unsubscribe from all promotional emails. So this goes back to what I was kind of talking about on the the minimal episode where these different inputs that we receive, these different uh, things that we are signed up for, whether it's a magazine subscription or whether it's promotional emails, these are triggers for us. That's right. So, you know, what I read here is get rid of as many triggers as possible. Number two. Block internet access to your favorite sites. Okay. I mean, all right. I, I get it. But I also, you know, there was someone. I think they mean favorite shopping sites in particular. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like if you're really addicted, every day I go to J. Crew, or every day I go to Natalie Martin. Or every day I go to Amazon. Yeah, Amazon. Right. Lululemon. Whatever right. it is. Yeah. Because what do you get? You get that little dopamine mm-hmm. hit. 
All right. Mm-hmm. And I think what they're saying is like, there's nothing wrong with, with shopping at Lululemon. Right. But if you go there every day browsing, mm-hmm. maybe blocking it. In fact, maybe it's, hey, I'm only going to go to the actual store. I'm going to create some friction. I'll go there once a month and I'll buy one thing a month. Mm-hmm. That's setting up a boundary for me until I can get this under control. So really it's about finding ways to create friction. Yeah. what I hear with number two. Number three, delete shopping app, apps from mobile devices. Delete shopping apps from mobile devices. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, causing friction. Yeah. That's another way to cause friction. Uh, retrain your brain. All you got to do is retrain your brain. <laughs> Let's <laughs> Re- read this. Read the thing that says there. So uh, retail therapy is very real. A study last year from the University of Michigan Ross School of Business showed that going shopping and choosing to buy something actually reduces sadness in people. I would posit that it gives you a temporary pleasure uh-huh. and you can mask the sadness with the temporary pleasure. Bingo. That's exactly it. It goes on to say, and another 2013 survey of 1,000 adults by the Huffington Post found that one in three people shop to deal with stress. Instead of relying on retail therapy to lift your mood, teach your brain to seek out a different experience. What emotion is driving the compulsion? Are you feeling sad or out of control? Are you just looking for a thrill? Identify the negative feeling and look for an alternative solution. Many experts and recovering addicts recommend self-soothing techniques such as exercising, calling a friend, writing, reading a book, repeating positive affirmations, or even volunteering for a charity to beat the blues. I think the thing to point out there, Ryan, is that I talked about this earlier. If you're living a meaningful life, whatever that means for you, now those activities, you may prescribe those activities and that's not meaningful for someone Mm -hmm. that's just replacing something that someone kind of enjoys and gets a little bit of pleasure from with something that is not pleasurable right at at all to them in fact it could be dissatisfying to them yeah and so it's not about doing those specific prescriptions it's about understanding what do you find to be a meaningful activity because if your days are filled with meaningful activities and you just feel joy and satisfaction from the things you're doing throughout the day Mm -hmm. are you going to feel compelled to go shopping no that addiction dissipates yeah you know i think I don't know, man. Going back to the addiction thing, uh, I think we're all addicted to something, and I do think we have a we have a little bit of control or influence over what we're addicted to. So I think what this number four is saying, retraining your brain, is choose your addictions wisely. Mm. Like, what is going to be your addiction? And um, yeah, I don't, whether it's uh, like I know people who are addicted to working out. Yes, I know people who are addicted to going on walks. I mean, dude, you're addicted to going on walks, brother. It doesn't get in the way of my life. No, though. of course not. And so, so, so if I'm we using, go back to Rich Roll's yes, definition I'm of using, it. Yeah, I'm using it a very, very loosely addiction mm-hmm. here. Sure. But um, but yeah, I mean, we were in Aspen. We walked, what, at least 25 miles. We weren't even there for two days. We were there for 28 hours. We walked like almost 25 miles. Yeah. Um, which was great. Like, right. I really enjoyed it. Um, so yeah, the question is, is like, what, what can you bring into your life that you can kind of treat as an addiction again i'm using that term loosely Mm -hmm. that's going to help retrain your brain but just saying hey all right before i before i hit purchase i'm going to go on a walk for 10 minutes or i'm going to call a friend and tell them that i'm going to buy this like some way to hold you accountable because it's hard to hold ourselves accountable that's right it's a lot easier when you have like an accountability partner right so yeah i mean i think these are all good ideas um but i'm sure there are other things out there too that people could 
uh, put into their life to create a little bit of friction, but also to find a different lever of enjoyment or pleasure. Right. Because if you are doing that thing that you find that you're so enthusiastic about, for me, it's walking is something I'm really enthusiastic yeah. about. Right. Or you know, spending time with Beck. So we, every other Wednesday, we just go out we take the day off and just get lost together, basically. Right. Yeah. And I'm enthusiastic about it. I never think about, hey, do you want to go to the Beverly Center and go shopping with me mm-hmm. on those days? It wouldn't even cross my mind. In fact, if we had to go to the Beverly Center for something that I would pick any day except that, <laughs> you know, because it would be a, oh, I have to do this. I have to go replace my computer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so what am I enthusiastic, like truly enthusiastic about? Not pleasure-seeking, but what is the thing that is just like, oh, yes, that is the thing that makes me feel so alive? Mm. Because some of these addictions, they ape the form of that aliveness, mm. whether it's drugs or alcohol. In that mm. moment, it can enhance the aliveness that you feel, but then, yeah. of course, it causes a crash. Me walking 25 miles doesn't cause a, a crash. It might cause a, a particular tiredness where it's like, oh, wow. That was a lot of, of miles that I, I put on these shoes today. Yeah. And so I need some rest, but it's not a, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Right. And you're right. People, people can get addicted, especially to things that are perceived to be positive. Mm. At one point, though, shopping was perceived to be positive, right? right yeah. It's consuming. It's buying things we need for us and our family. What's wrong with that? Yeah. Well... There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is we don't actually need the things that we think we need. And no wonder it's causing the shame in us. It's causing this tension in the household. We're hiding purchases because we're having problems with money. We're, we're, we're lying to our significant other because we feel insignificant ourselves. And we try to derive that significance from some new purchases. There are better ways to feel significant. We don't need to feel significant through our purchases, but everyone has some sort of need to feel significant to others. Yeah. And you know what? The way to achieve that is by finding the thing that you're most enthusiastic about, the thing that allows you to contribute beyond yourself, because shopping is not contributing, not really. Yeah, you're contributing money to a corporation that pays employees, and, and that's fine, but it's not it's not true significance. It, it merely apes the form of significance. Yeah. I think Ken Coleman would say, find the way that you like to help people and like, and focus on that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How, how are you enthusiastic about helping people? Right. Yeah. If you can become passionate about serving others in some way, and that could be at a soup kitchen or the soup kitchen could be the worst example in the world. If you hate, I, I'm, I used to take people to the soup kitchen all the time in West Dayton, mm-hmm. right? House of Bread. You yeah. and I have been there a bunch of times. Yeah. We brought employees there. We did all kinds of stuff at House of Bread. Mm-hmm. And I, sometimes I bring someone there and they just hated the whole experience. Well, that's not the best way for them to contribute. You don't want to drag someone through contribution. Mm-hmm. You want them to do something that makes them feel as though they're not working at all. Like, yeah. oh my God, I can't believe I get to do this and other people also benefit from it. Where we need to be careful is we don't want to contribute as a way to mask our own problems as well. Mm, yeah. I think that's one thing that we often do is, ah, I'm really passionate about helping others. But sometimes that's a, that's a mask to say, 
I can't really help myself. I'm afraid of helping myself. And so instead of trying to help myself, try to heal myself, self-care, what I'm going to do is prescribe solutions to other people. You're going to end up making yourself miserable. And by the way, by providing just solutions to other people, you're going to make them miserable as well. Yeah. The last thing here, it says get help. So uh, it goes on to say, like any other addiction, compulsive shopping can be managed successfully with treatment, therapy, and support groups. Surround yourself with people who can relate to your experience and provide guidance. Also, get involved with helping others as a way to keep yourself accountable and committed to recovery. So, yeah, I mean, if all else fails, go seek professional help. I, I didn't realize there was a Shoppers Anonymous. Yeah, Shopaholics Anonymous. Well, in fact, podcast, Sean, if you would please put a link to Shopaholics Anonymous in the notes. You can call them. You can reach out to them. They have a website with resources as well. And I think that could be a great place for you to start. The the ultimate place where you want to go with the shopping addiction is understanding the addiction, seeing through the addiction. It's not about stopping. Mm -hmm. You don't stop anything. You see through it. And when you're covering up. In fact, if you can look at when you see what what's the most absurd example? Think about this. If you're listening to this at home or watching this and at home, you're driving the car, maybe. Hopefully you're not watching it if you're driving in the car. <laughs> if you're listening or you're walking down the street, whatever you're doing, think about the most absurd version of shopping addiction. I mentioned on the minimal episode about the line of people who were lined up outside the retail store for you're at Supreme and you see all these young guys who are waiting to get sneakers or shirts or the latest drop, whatever it is, limited edition. Mm -hmm. That seems absurd to me and you, it seems so real to them. Yeah. And so that's how you have compassion for that because we all have our version of that. Mm. No, you might not be standing in line at flight club on Fairfax Avenue in Los Angeles, but you have your equivalent it could be one-click purchasing on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And those boxes show up every day, and you start to feel a little twinge of shame. Mm-hmm. It's not different from what those people are doing. It just shows up differently in your life. And so you can have compassion for yourself by understanding, hey, yes, this is an addiction. Let's call it what it is. Mm-hmm. It actually is a shopping addiction. Mm. Because how many times, Ryan, did you ever have this problem, by the way, when you had um, a drug addiction? Mm-hmm. Did you ever say, I'm not an addict? Oh, yeah. I think that's how I justify doing the drugs. Right. Yeah. And I think that's how we justify doing the shopping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm not like the flight club people. Yeah. I'm not waiting in line every I'm not, day. I'm not in the gutter. Yeah. I'm not like, you know, I'm not robbing people to buy my drugs. That's what drug addicts do. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a shopping addict because I don't fit all, all six criteria. I, I'm only fit two or three of them. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. The way that we justify things. Yeah. Well, um. But you know what? Just like with drug addiction, I, I love that last step there of like, hey, look, if all else fails, get help. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and asking you for help is sometimes the hardest part. Um, it can be. Well, it just, it forces you to be honest with yourself. Yes. And you know, when you've spent so long lying to yourself, it's hard to, it's hard to admit that, oh, wow, I've been lying to myself. Like I had to look in the mirror and be like, dude, you are a drug addict and you have to go get help. Yes. And it's, you know, I was lying to myself for years, like talking myself out of it. Like, no, 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 I only... I only do drugs to for whatever, you know, insert excuse there. Right. And yeah. and by the way, the excuses are plentiful. You can find a mm. bag of excuses. <laughs> yeah. And especially 
because in our culture, drugs are what? They're like, oh, no, 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 that's bad. We, 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 in fact, we say all drugs are bad. We're so puritanical there. Yeah. But shopping, ah, what's wrong with shopping? Right. And so it's even easier to hide a shopping addiction because it's so socially acceptable. Mm. But it's probably ruining more lives than alcohol and drug addiction mm. because 80 plus percent of us are in debt. Yeah. We're buying a bunch of things. It's ruining our marriages. It's ruining our relationships. It's getting in the way of the most meaningful activities in our lives. Mm -hmm. No wonder we're so miserable. Society has said it's okay for you to be a shopping addict. Yeah. Bagofexcuses.com. <laughs> Patent pending. We got a bunch of uh, surprise questions here. Before we get into those, just a quick reminder to all of our patrons. If you're commenting on Patreon, please, we, we do encourage you to comment on these episodes. Use your profile picture. We identify with people. We love responding to people with faces and not cartoon characters. <laughs> and so unless you have some really compelling reason not to, you know, you're in the CIA and you're deep undercover and yet you're a minimalist podcast fan, fine, I get it. But most of you aren't in the CIA, and you're not hiding from the law. And so uh, this is just our private community. Mm. And we all love each other. And mm. so we can see each other face-to-face -face even when we're, when we're interacting via a little two-inch profile pic. Also, another note, big thanks to Emma the Immigrant. We, uh, all of our minimal episodes and maximal episodes now correspond. So if you go back to episode... 155 about clothing. I don't know if that's actually right, but it sounds right. Yeah. Um, actually, no, I think episode 56 was clothing. <laughs> we didn't have a corresponding maximal, so this, yeah. this analogy is breaking down really quickly. If you go back to episode 300 about compulsive decluttering, mm -hmm. right, and you want to find, oh, where's the maximal episode for that? You just head on over to patreon.com slash the minimalists, and you type in the search bar, episode space 300. The word episode, space, 300. And that will show you exactly which maximal corresponds with that minimal. So it's all searchable. And by the way, we've set up our Patreon page. So it is, no other Patreon creators do this. Um, it's eminently searchable and organized. So you just go to patreon.com slash the minimalist. If you want to find all of our Ask the Minimalist sessions, we're getting ready to record one of those after this. Episode 49, mm. by the way. Uh, you can find all 49 of them. You just click on Ask the Minimalist and boom, they show up right there. Or if you want to find the video version of the podcast, you click on Private Podcast Video. If you want to find our quarantine conversations, we did 50 quarantine conversations, just click on Quarantine Conversations mm. right there at the top. It's all organized so you can find exactly what you're looking for. Patreon.com slash The Minimalist. You're already signed in so you can have access to all of that. We have a question here from Shanti. No matter what I do, I find it difficult to curb the urge to compulsively shop, especially on groceries. I've tried shopping fasts and wish lists, but they only help slightly. The only thing that really curbs it is in-person time with people I care about, but doing that on a regular basis isn't possible for me at this time. Mm. I'm burnt out. I don't know what to do. I feel like I need Shopaholics Anonymous. Yeah, maybe you might. Maybe you do, yeah. And, and see, the, the problem is I, you're saying this in jest, and that's actually what made me look up Shopaholic. I'm like, is this an actual thing? Because I, I was familiar with the term, obviously, mm -hmm. and it's used pejoratively like, oh, yeah, I guess I'm like an alcoholic, but for shopping. Yeah, 
Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. We are that way. Mm. And it's okay. There's no shame in alcoholism. No. There's no shame in shopaholicism. Uh, shopaholism? Um, <laughs> whatever it is, there, there's no, no shame in shopping addiction, right? Mm. It's As soon as we begin to understand it, though, that's when these things can go away. Now, I will say, Ryan, we were talking a moment ago about the stories that we tell ourselves, the mm. excuses yeah. we tell ourselves. And one excuse I have here from Shanti, and maybe it's true for her, doing that on a regular basis, meaning spending time with in, people in person, she says, doing that on a regular basis isn't possible for me at this time. Is, is that true? And if it's not, if it's not true, mm-hmm. maybe it's more difficult for you at this time. Yeah. And maybe it has to do with pandemics or maybe it has to do with declining health or whatever. I understand. But how can I do that now? Because you've already understood the why. Mm. The why for you is I go shopping when I feel disconnected. Mm. Johan Hari, who we've had on the podcast, talks about the nine causes of depression. And one of them is being disconnected from human beings. Mm. So maybe the reason that you are shopping is because you feel so disconnected and this is a way for you to try to become connected with the world around you we try to be trendy so we become significant to other people we try to get other people to appreciate us through our status symbols and the things that we acquire we try to be a better person by buying better things Mm. but that doesn't fix what we're actually missing what we're missing in this case with Shanti, is we're missing connection, human connection. We're missing the relationships in our lives. And repairing the relationship with the stuff often happens on its own once we've repaired our relationship with the people in our lives. It sounds like she can't not afford to be with other people. Is that, can you contract that? C-A-N apostrophe N-T apostrophe N-T? Yes, you can. Can't? <laughs> <laughs> Well, but but in all seriousness, it's it's like when I hear someone talk about, oh, well, you know, buying organic food or healthy food is too expensive. Right. And it's like, okay, like I get that, the monetary cost of it. Mm-hmm. However, the long-term health effects, like you really can't not afford to like get the health, because it's going to cost you in the long run anyway. It's going to cost Much you more. more. Right. With, with, with healthcare costs. So, so yeah, I mean, I would, I would challenge Shanti to instead of shutting herself down and saying, oh, I can't do this at this time, it's, okay, well, what can you do? Mm. What are the things you can, you know, put aside? What what can you say no to in order to say yes to having more connection with people? Um, and I don't want to be, you know, apathetic to Shanti's situation. Maybe she truly can't for some reason. Um, but I think that, that w- that's more of an exception than it is, like, the rule. So That's yeah. right. Yeah. Be careful with the stories you tell yourself because even if they aren't true... Mm-hmm. They become true to you. Yeah. And I'll tell you, Shanti, with the groceries, because that's, she, she said, especially on groceries is where she's having the difficulty. You taught me this, Melbourne, where you go to the grocery store with a list and you get everything that's on the list. And nothing and, else. And nothing else. And let's say you accidentally forgot to put rice on the list. It's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to come back. You're creating friction mm-hmm. to have to come back and get that rice at a different time with a different list. Yes. Um, but but that's just one example of the, the, the different, and we've talked about a lot of different ways to create friction, but that's what Shanti needs to do. So uh, have some relationships with real life people 
but then also find ways to create friction. She said, you know, I tried shopping fast and wishlist, but they help only slightly. Hey, slight, slight help is better than no help. That's right. And, and also, those things help only when you get to the why. So you've already identified mm. the why now. The why is I feel disconnected, so I'm shopping. Now that you understand that, these things that help slightly, they're going to help you so much more because you've understood the nature of the problem. Absolutely. We have a question here from Mary. I thought I had recovered from my clothes addiction, only to find that after my son was born, I unconsciously started again with toys and baby stuff. Sometimes it's difficult to judge the difference between want and need when it's not about me anymore. Now it's about my child. So hmm. so what percentage of the world's children do American children make up, Ryan? 3%. Yeah, and how many? what percentage of toys do they have? 40%. yeah i I was talking to uh this lady the other day she i ran into her in public i was at a coffee shop and and she's like oh hey minimalist she's like the whole minimalist thing i i get it but my kids you know kids want stuff i said do they really Mm. or is that something that we've created within them yeah have we encouraged them to want stuff and i gave her that stat you just you just gave i said you know by the way American kids make up 3% of the world's population. The ch- population of the children. Yeah, yeah, American kids make up... Okay, let me, you know, I'll take it from the top here. <laughs> American kids make up 3% of the world's population of children. Yes. They consume 40% of the toys. What does that tell me? There are a lot of children all over the world that don't have the same number of toys. Right. And in fact, studies will show us that Children are far more content and they enjoy playtime more when they're not burdened by excess. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's like a study that shows that, yeah, kids who have more toys are uh, yeah easily distracted and they, and they don't enjoy quality playtime because they're overwhelmed. That's right. And they're easily distracted because there's too many choices. Yes, yeah, so, yeah. so the average Western child has almost 300 toys but plays with 12 of them. Mm. Now, we're not saying toys are bad. No. What we're saying is the excess actually gets in the way of the thing we're trying to do, which is play with the toys. Mm. And so, yes, I understand the desire to provide for your child, but providing excess for your child is actually depriving your child of what you hope to provide for them. Yeah, it makes me think about Derek Sivers and how Derek Sivers and how he... uh, talked about he was living a minimalist lifestyle and he had a kid and he was like you know we're not gonna have a bunch of toys and then like he said you know one day he he just saw something on craigslist it was like a box of children's toys it was kind of like you know a, a, a mix match of just a bunch of co- toys and he brought it in and his, he's like man my son really has a lot of fun with it and like watching him like uh you know create different scenarios and just using the toys for you know, just just to, to kind of help his imagination grow yes and i think that's great and he was tra- he was actually telling us like well sometimes with minimalism when it comes to kids you can't really apply it but i would say what he did was still very deliberate yes and he's got that boundary of the one box of toys right so that is really where i think with and again it's so easy for me to give advice on kids when i don't have any but you know having these boundaries set up that's what's going to help you not overwhelm your kids with so much stuff so if it's clothes great like where do those clothes go is there a dresser that's your that's your boundary um, with toys, like, is there just one toy box? Great. That's your boundary. Like creating those boundaries is what is going to help you not, uh, overindulge or have too many things. 
you know, when we were at that event in Aspen and someone asked you how many shirts you were, you have, and I think you said like 10 or whatever, right. the number eight, I don't know what the number was, but mm-hmm. whatever the number was. And my response was, I have one dresser full of clothes. Mm. And that's what's appropriate for me. Like what's in it, it's, that's the boundary I've set up. Yeah. Now it's not crammed full of things. It's, it's very tidy and neatly folded. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and yet if I overflow that, then I know, uh-oh, I've reached Past my boundary. Something's got to go, yeah. Yeah, this is a sign for me to let go. So what are some of the signs for you to let go? The Derek Sivers example, which, by the way, we did a whole event with him back in New Zealand. If mm. patrons can listen to it, yeah. you can just go to, uh, well, you can check out the on Patreon all of our events there. Um, we did this event with, in fact, Podcast Sean could put a link to it in the show notes. Was that Auckland? Yeah, we were in yeah. Auckland at the weirdest event we've ever done. It was at a <laughs> horse racing track. It was so there were escalators coming down to the stage. It yeah. looked like we were in a mall. I don't, I don't know what was going on. It was wild. It was, but it was a great event. Otherwise, it, it was aesthetically very strange. But the thing I talked to to Derek about there is because he's like, oh yeah, I don't, I'm not a minimalist because uh, with respect to toys, because I don't want to deprive my kid of toys. I bought him this one box, and he's like, see, sometimes kids get value from toys. And I said, you're right. But if you gave him 10 boxes of toys, would he get 10 times the value? Right. And Derek was like, well, no, actually, he would get less value. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we've been talking about here is the excess. Yeah. If you have excess toys for your kids or excess for yourself, you're getting in the way of what you're actually trying to do. Yeah. We have a question here from Dan. Any tips on how to stop obsessively researching every new purchase? I find myself constantly worrying I'm not getting the right item. Mm, well, Dan, I got good and bad news for you. You'll never find the right item. Looking for that. Yeah, there's no such thing as the perfect item. I mean, there's an appropriate item, mm. but you're always going to be missing out on something. Yes. It doesn't matter what you get. Um I'm sure there's someone with an exception to this rule who could like, you know, put it in the comments section below this episode. Let me know what that item is, that perfect item. Yeah, did you get that? Did you buy the thing that completed your life? Right, yeah, of course, yeah. And if you did, wonderful. Let us know about it. And now, of course, now that you got that, Mm. you don't have to buy anything else, (laughs) right? Yeah. And you finally found that. Uh, The average person has 300,000 items in their house. They Mm -hmm. never found that. Right. They got a lot of thises, but <laughs> yeah. know that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I think Dan specifically is talking about like, let's say he's looking for a, I don't know, a kettle. I'm going to find the perfect kettle, the right kettle. And you might find a, a kettle that is most suitable for you. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, like that kettle that's most suitable for you may not be suitable for Josh. Right. It may not be suitable for me. Yes. So again, like even when it comes to these individual purchases, there's still, there's never going to be the perfect item. I can tell you, I, I can't think of anything in my house where I'm like, that's the one, that is the one, the, the one thing. That's the one item that, uh, yeah, I'm glad I got that brand. I'm glad I got that style because it fulfills everything that that thing is supposed to fulfill. Yeah. In fact, when you do find something that is close, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden you feel compelled to cling to it yeah oh that is the thing that oh yeah i really like that t-shirt or i really like that couch or whatever it is and the clinging becomes the next problem Mm. now we're clinging to the thing even when you found the right thing and you're telling yourself oh this is the right thing so now i have to 
I have to keep it. I have no, to. You're clinging to it. I have to secure it. I have to to yeah. to protect this thing. Otherwise, I'm gonna lose it. Mm. And if I lose it now, I'm going to be incomplete again. And mm. so, Dan, I also focus on researching things. We actually live in the best time and the worst time for this, because. Never before could you crowdsource 10,000 reviews of an item. Yeah. Even the Better Business Bureau did not do a great job of this. They did the best before the internet. Right. But you can, now if you want to buy a kettle, there's 10,000 reviews there. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy one of our books, there's hundreds or thousands of reviews telling you about that book. Yeah. Right? And so you can crowdsource it. But the question is, what is the appropriate amount? Do I read all 10,000 reviews? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It, it, and that's the, the completionist view. Or do I pick out the two most helpful reviews mm. and then, based on that information, make my own decision? Mm. I often rely on the experts for my purchasing decisions. Sure. And so if it's an artist, like if when we put this paint, the, the, the painting here, you know, this is, thank, thankfully, Beulah, we know her, and she painted these for us. Ryan and I didn't paint them ourselves. Mm-hmm. We relied on an expert to we outsourced it to an expert you can do the same thing with your purchasing decisions as well in fact we hired beulah when we try to figure out that couch in fact we probably end up saving money because that couch ended up being less than what i would have spent on a couch Mm. she found a couch that was very comfortable i assume Mm -hmm. yeah we've got our our studio audience here Mm -hmm. um and um they uh they're they're sitting on the couch right now we we bought the couch beulah helped us find that so so relying on an expert who can help you curate some of these things i think is a great way to outsource your now you don't want to completely abdicate yourself of the responsibility of buying but if you decided okay i need a couch or i need a kettle Mm -hmm. all right i'm what am i going to do i'm going to read three reviews I will look at what one expert says and how they compare them, and then I'm done. I'm going to make the decision so it's made so that I can move on. I can feel good about it because I was intentional about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't buy an impulse, but now I've made the decision, and it's time for me to move on. So what are those boundaries for you? For me, I I tend to read two reviews, Mm -hmm. the most critical and the most helpful, (laughs) and then I'll look at what an expert is saying if it's a purchase that's above $30. Yeah. And if I do those two things, I generally feel pretty good about the purchase, especially if if I'm waiting at least a day to make the purchase. The, the, the wait for it rule. Thir- 30 hours if it's more than 30 bucks. If it's more than 100 bucks, I tend to wait 30 days. That doesn't always work for me, but at least 24 hours is something that I think virtually anyone could benefit from. Yeah, for sure. I remember uh, I used to have this thing with vacuum cleaners like because I'd go buy a vacuum and it just sucked. Not the way it was supposed to suck. <laughs> <laughs> but the pejorative version of that word, it was horrible. Like, I can't tell you how many vacuum cleaners I would go through. So then finally, I went to Consumer Reports, yes. and it was like, you know, five bucks for like a month or something. So I spent the $5, Consumer Reports, with the vacuums. I found this vacuum cleaner. It was number two on the list. Number one was like this Dyson $600 vacuum, and I'm like, I'm not spending $600 on a vacuum. And then I found one uh, for $45. It was like this Hoover, and I'm like, all right. Like, but otherwise, I never would have even have attempted to get that. But when I had uh, carpet, like it was a $45 vacuum cleaner that worked awesome. Yeah. So uh, just like that's one expert source you can go to to kind of get you know some like honest reviews and feedback on the quality of an item too. Right, and there are experts in all of these different arenas. Consumer Reports is, and I think that's a thing to keep in mind. Like sometimes you can go like if I want furniture and if I go to Design Within Reach. Mm-hmm. 
the people working at Design Within Reach are going to try to sell me Design Within Reach furniture, right? right? Yeah. And so understand they have a particular bias. It doesn't mean they're wrong. It doesn't mean what they have is bad, but it, you have to understand that bias. Mm-hmm. You go to a, a Consumer Reports, they likely don't have a bias. A place like J.D. Right. Power does have a bias. Yes. You have to buy those awards, right. basically. That's so funny. Right. If you it, give us enough money, we'll say you're the best. That's exactly. That's now, horrible. You have to meet basic criteria yes. so they're not going to recommend some sort of scam company right but it's not truly the best objectively and so be careful about the experts because ultimately the decision is up to you yeah we got one more question here from addy i have a friend who believes in retail therapy what is your take on this uh yeah what is your take on this is it really therapeutic if not what can i do to help my friend see the truth. How can I make my friend not believe in retail therapy? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a nice way to reframe it. So, Ryan, in that article you were reading here, the part that it had he, that it said is retail therapy is very real. Mm. A study last year from the University of Michigan showed that going shopping and choosing to buy something actually reduces sadness in people. And as you said, it doesn't reduce the sadness; it merely covers it up. Yeah, it, it gives you the appearance of reducing sad and in the moment you might feel less sad Mm. but that's like ryan if you if you sprain your ankle and then i go and break your arm you're like oh my ankle doesn't hurt nearly as much right now right it's because the pain response is now in your arm it doesn't mean that your ankle is any less sprained Mm -hmm. it just means you're having to deal with some other emotions that are that are bubbling up in you right now momentarily that emotion is pleasure so of course you don't notice the sadness as much right but pleasure seeking always leads to sadness it's a roller coaster every time you can't have the peaks without the valleys Mm. and if you're chasing pleasure you're also chasing depression yeah oh interesting you could tweet that podcast sean it's good um it made me think of uh you know how they have like ketamine therapy yes they have mdma therapy right they have uh, uh, psilocybin therapy, right? Right. So there are these like literal drugs that uh, used outside of the uh, you know the medicinal purposes. You can go to prison for having some of these drugs, right? Yes. Um, I kind of look at shopping that way in the sense that like you know you talked about going to Target and getting paper towels. Like yes, like that's not your that's I mean it's not therapy, but it is fulfilling a need that you have. Yes. And sometimes, you know, yeah, you got to go shopping and get stuff. But if you're relying on MDMA or you're relying on the shopping, Mm -hmm. you know, anything uh, going above and beyond is going to be detrimental and it is going to cause depression. So you're saying is we we should make shopping illegal. Exactly. Schedule one drug. Schedule one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's what's funny about, about this is, oh man, well, I don't even know where to start because... Yes, retail therapy, a lot of people buy into the concept. So it's very real yeah, to them. Right. It does cover up something, but it does not fix anything. Mm. Well, why is that? Because there's nothing to be fixed mm. in the first place. And so if we're broken in some way, mm-hmm. it has to do with all of the additions we already have added. We've heaped on to our hordes. Mm. Part of that is stuff. Yeah, But most of it is internal clutter, mental clutter, spiritual clutter, emotional clutter, psychological clutter, calendar clutter yeah. makes us miserable, yeah. right? All of this clutter, that's why we feel broken. 
is because we feel chaos. Yeah. Adding chaos to the chaos does not solve the chaos. Mm. The only thing that addresses the chaos is subtraction. So you can't buy your way to freedom. You can't buy your way to calm. You can't buy your way to less. Mm. That's one of the most insidious things about the container store and all of these other organizing mechanisms and platforms and modalities. It makes us feel as though we can more our way to less. Mm. It's like someone who is trying to get out of debt and they just spend thousands of dollars on getting out of debt classes and books and audio books. I mean, yeah, like you can't spend your way out of debt. That's right. <laughs> you can't spend your way, uh, yeah, out of chaos. Yeah, that's so good. You know, there was one other question here I thought maybe we could tackle while we're here. Jessica, at the very bottom there, she had, she had something I thought was worth talking about. My mother and I have been shopping together as a pastime since I was a child. We live 45 minutes away from each other, and prior to my minimalism practice, we'd meet for lunch and shopping every few weeks. She's now upset that we don't have this in common anymore and isn't open to new activities to share together. How can I approach declining how, yeah, how can I approach declining shopping dates with her without hurting her feelings or appearing to be judging her choice of pastime? Yeah. Let me ask you this, are you judging her her choice of pastime? I think that's the first place to start. Right. Because if you're saying that shopping is a bad thing, mhm then of course that feels she's going to feel judged, right? right? The question is, what is she enthusiastic about? Right. What are you enthusiastic about? What can you share that you can be enthusiastic about together? Previously, it was shopping. Mm. Now, one of you is enthusiastic about it. The other is not enthusiastic about it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's not going to work. It, think about, Ryan, if, um, if you and wanted to take me to a Spill Canvas concert. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not enthusiastic about that kind of music. Right. And so I'd go one time. Yeah. But imagine if you wanted me to go every, what is it, every week, every month, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. I, at some point, I'm going to be like, well, wait a minute. I, I'm not, I, I don't enjoy this. Mm -hmm. So your mom enjoys it still. And she's not wrong for enjoying it. Now, maybe she is. Maybe she does have some sort of addiction. It's mm -hmm. not up for me to decide. It's not up for you to decside whether or not she's addicted to it. Mm -hmm. But you can, you, you say she's not open to other things. Well, that's because nothing has been proposed that she is currently more enthusiastic about, that she finds to be more meaningful than shopping together. Yeah. If you know what that is, that bridge is the, it's the gap that's the easiest one to put a bridge over. Yeah. You know, I was thinking too, like my, my mom and niece were in town not too long ago and they wanted to go to the outlet malls and shop. Yeah. And I couldn't go with them because uh, the, we, I think we were recording a podcast or something, but Mariah went with them. And, you know, like Mariah was totally able to go there and support them. Great. You guys, you girls want to go shopping? Go shopping. Fine. I'm not going to make you feel bad about it. I'm not going to give you a lecture. Like if that's what you want, then go ahead, go for it. But Mariah had that experience with them she didn't have to go on a shopping spree like they did. Mm. So now if Jessica here is a shopaholic and, and, and is trying to get away from the stores because she can't control those impulses, yeah. then I get it. Then don't do this. But I would be willing to bet that there's probably some times you can go with your mom and like, 
Yeah, walk around the shopping mall. It doesn't mean you have to get anything, Jessica. Watch your mom buy stuff if that's what she wants. Yeah. And the more that you do that, the more she's going to be willing to try uh, new things as well. Yeah. So maybe instead of every week you go shopping, maybe it's every other week you go shop. Like she can pick the activity and then the following week, then Jessica can pick the activity. You can trade off. Sure. And, and I agree with you that if it is causing distress in your life, then you want to avoid those things Correct. that are causing distress. Yes. However, if you're able to go, I'll give you an example. So yesterday was Wednesday, the day we're recording this. And, and so actually yesterday was Wednesday. If you're listening to this, the day it comes out as well. Mm-hmm. But yesterday I went up to Ojai with Bex and we ended up, we were at a coffee shop that also had like this home good shop attached to it. Mm. It was a really nice home good. And you could peek your head in there, look around. Like we didn't intend to go window shopping mm-hmm. but oh cool this is great you and i did the same thing in houston last week when yeah. we we were in houston we were at a coffee shop yeah and it was this very similar place in ojai they had uh, all these home goods it's like a boutique it's gorgeous like beautifully designed things yes yeah and and as long i don't feel that that impulse at all anymore so i could appreciate the things without needing to consume them mm-hmm. but you can get there even though you may feel the impulse right now, mm-hmm. but you can still appreciate them. Yeah. Just like if you go to a museum, you don't need to take the sculpture, put it under your arm and run out of the museum. I need this right now. Yeah. You don't have to exit through the gift shop and buy everything in the gift shop. Mm. You can enjoy the things for what they are. Now, in doing that, if you start going to some places that are rather unintentional, if you find yourself at Walmart or you find yourself at Costco or whatever... That nothing wrong with those places. I mean, there are some inherent problems with, <laughs> with, with corporations. Sure. But nothing wrong with visiting one of those places. But if that's how you spend your shopping days, hanging out at a Walmart, you might realize like, oh, this isn't intentional. It's not curated. It's not beautiful. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite of what I want. What do I actually want? Because that's really what your question is right now. It's not about, oh, I, I don't want to go shopping with my mom. The question is, I don't know what my mom and I would both find value in. Mm. And if you can figure that out, what would we be more thrilled by, more alive by, more enthused by than shopping? Then the answer is right there. You'll run toward that new thing. For me, it, it's time on the beach with, with Bex. And I don't even like sand. Mm. But I enjoy that time in the water. And, and it's so much better than 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 shopping Mm -hmm. and i could name a dozen other things relatively quickly that i would prefer to do than shopping and so even when i do end up in those curated shopping environments i can appreciate them for what they are but i don't seek them out anymore and so maybe maybe where jessica is right now is she can appreciate those experiences with her mom while beginning to insert different experiences that you'll both enjoy so much more than just shopping. Ryan, we got to go record an Ask the Minimalist Anything session. Cool. If you're a true fan or a VIP over on, on Patreon, um, we do those every month. You can check those out, video and audio version. Ask the Minimalist Anything. People ask some really wild questions sometimes. <laughs> Different from, you know, these podcasts, we, we address particular topics, but you can literally ask us anything if you're a true fan or VIP. But no matter where you are, we're grateful that you're a patron. You're supporting this podcast. You're keeping us 100% advertisement-free. Thank you so much, patrons. Thanks, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. The Minimalists. <laughs>